0: Brandy, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. Uh we are halfway through our winter here. Uh winter is January, February. That's it. And so
1: uh, uh, we're,
0: we're 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 heading towards spring. Uh, how's the weather in uh I think
1: envy's a sin. I think envy's a sin, but I'm there right now because yes, we're in Colorado. We actually had a pretty mild beginning of winter, but it is here in full force and I see now but we always say february 1st spring is next month
0: even yeah.
1: though the actual coming of spring might not change anything still technically it's spring so
0: yeah well lucia's from erie and uh, the children ask her about her spring in erie pennsylvania she said yes we loved watching the flowers pop up through the snow in may
1: <laughs> yes in may oh my goodness yeah
0: Praise God for the South. All right, so I wanted to have you on this podcast. This is Brandi Huerta, by the way. Uh, she is uh, she works in our Mastermind program. She's one of my uh, co-conspirators. Uh, we work together, been working together for a number of years now, and uh, she graduated from our Mastermind program a long time ago and has been part of our ministry uh, f- for quite a while and she's a valuable asset to our Mastermind program. And Brandy, uh, you've written three articles over the past few weeks, uh, deeply rich theological articles talking about God, who he is, uh, teasing out each one of his uh, attributes thus far, and you have more that you want to write. But the last one that you wrote uh, was about, infinity, God's infinity, and he is complete, let's say, and you don't add to or take away. You cannot add to, you cannot take away. And there's some talk about, uh, you know, God emoting, that that God has emotions, and there were a couple people that commented uh, on the article. One lady said that, uh, well, I believe God has emotions. And so I want you to, you know, answer that question because I don't think that she was fully. Well, I know she wasn't fully understanding uh, what you were saying. And then also uh, another person commented and said, "Well, I mean, God grieves, and of course He's <clears throat> using Ephesians four and First Thessalonians. Well, Ephesians four, grieving the spirit. I start say quenching the spirit in Thessalonians, which I, I'm sure He would use that as well. Uh, this past weekend, uh, I was we're going through judges at our church and i was reading judges two yet judges two where it said uh the anger of the lord was kindled um Mm -hmm. and and so his his anger was kindled so putting these things together uh you're saying that god is full and so he he can't do more than who he is or be less than who he is he's fully complete how do you how does that theological how how does that doctrine connect to god having emotions and god grieving and god's anger being kindled let's start let's start there
1: sure yeah that is a great question and there are a lot of scriptures that that seem to talk about god's emotions like you've said his anger being kindled and the spirit being grieved and things that god delights in and we can't dismiss those those scriptures. Um, but uh, neither yeah, that, can what, we dismiss the that, ones
0: that was another one. They said God. I'm sorry, to interrupt you. Be one of the commenters. Right, no, so God is pleased uh, right, and also right. displeased, and so they're showing. <clears throat> these commenters are saying that there's this oscillation or vacillation in God's right moods, so to speak, His emotions, I suppose.
1: Correct. And, and we do want to deal seriously with those scriptures. But on the other hand, or I shouldn't say on the other hand, so as to to put them in competition with one another, but we also have to deal seriously with the scriptures like uh, James one seventeen, that talks about the father of lights in whom there is no change. There's no shadow due to turning. Um, Hebrews 6 talks about, God, uh, two unchanging things by which God cannot lie. So that is is connecting God's unchangeableness with the fact that he cannot lie. So if God could change his trustworthiness, then could be called into question. The reason why we can trust God is that he's not like us. He doesn't change. He's forever perfectly who he is.
0: And the big, word for, do have to, the big word for unchanging is?
1: Is immutability. And so when we speak of his immutability with respect to what we would call emotions, now that's a relatively new word, apparently more of a psychologized word. But um, when we talk about his immutability with respect to his, let's say, mental state, we say he's impassable. And that word just means he can't be acted upon by anything external to himself. He does all the acting. He does all the doing. Nothing is ever done to him. So, so if, you can't if we you were can't say,
0: you can't manipulate God.
1: <clears throat> correct.
0: You, you can't gaslight like God. Uh, <laughs> that's
1: right. Yeah, that's what
0: Job said in twenty three, uh, "Who can turn him?" Uh, and and Job was coming to the reality uh, because Job was trying to budge God he was trying to move God he was trying to get God to see it from his perspective to feel what he feels and to respond the way that Job wanted God to respond and after 23 chapters of a lot of argumentation he finally got to the point that you know I just can't he's unbudgeable and and the big word you're using here is uh, impassable so he's immutable, he doesn't change. He's impassable, he can't be manipulated or gaslit. But, but he has right. em- he has emotions and his anger is kindled. So you- you're gonna have to get there. Uh help, right, help.
1: right. Right. We are gonna have to get there. You know, and, and to make it even even more complicated, um, you have like in first in samuel fifteen, in verse eleven. God says, I regret that I made Saul king. So it almost sounds like God's like, oh, don't. What was I thinking? And, and people, and people use that mind. one a
0: lot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. God, God right. repented. But
1: then same very chapter, same very chapter, uh, verse 29 says, also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind for he is not a man that he should change his mind.
0: Well, there you have it. So the Bible's full a, of contradictions.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. And, and up until recently, when we had this more empathetic, emotional language, Christians didn't have a hard time at all with, with those two ideas, reconciling those, harmonizing those. You go all the way back to Irenaeus in the second century, who said, all the pious think of God in this way. then you have athanasius and augustine and then all the reformers all the way up even to to john wesley who was not uh reformed like like i would find myself in the reformed tradition i know you would as well um but this is not you know suddenly in the 19th century a christian opened his bible and says oh my goodness we've been thinking of god wrong it says right here he has emotions Um, all of the the great minds in the broad Christian tradition, we're talking Catholic and Eastern Orthodox and Reformed and Anglican and uh, Arminian, even everyone thought of God as being impassable. So what we have to understand when we look at God's emotional language is that it's communicating something true about god to us even though it is not properly speaking true to say that god burned in his anger something moved god from a state of blessedness to a state of wrath because that would mean god is dependent on whatever that is for his new emotional state of being and 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 i hope we will make it clear that you just can't say that so say that
0: again that it's true <laughs> it's true but not true
1: right it's it's true it's so it's similar to when you hear the scriptures say something about God's mighty right hand well God doesn't have a body he doesn't have a right hand or and he doesn't have a left hand but what the Bible is saying we understand that that our right hands are stronger than our left hands most of us are right hand dominant and so we understand we're not thinking oh so God has, hand we understand that it's speaking about God's power and when the Bible says something about you know he keeps us in the shadow of his wings we don't think okay wow he's so it says over here he's a rock it says over here he's maybe a bird you know what an odd creature this God is we understand that those things are communicating something true about God It's language that's accommodated. Since God is incomprehensible, he has to accommodate his language about us to our finite minds and and help us. It's like John Calvin talked about, it's like a nursemaid stooping down to talk to a little child and, and lisping, talking baby talk. Like she would be communicating things that are actually true to the child, but in ways that he could understand. Yeah, I think
0: that's a big big idea, Uh, anthropomorphisms, uh, using anthropomorphic expressions, the hand of God, the eyes of God move to and fro in all the earth. God doesn't have eyes, wings, or hands, but the Bible goes to great lengths to try to help finite creatures understand an infinite God. You bring up a good point that in the old days, uh, this was a non-issue, but our... Uh, from the right. in, enlightenment forward especially the early 1900s with freud and jung uh, they, they came in and theology was replaced uh, or the beginning of the replacement of the uh, theology with psychology and so psychology has become uh, the dominant theme in our lives and we think more uh, psychologically than we do uh, theologically which, again, the old people thought theologically and not psychologically, and so we come at it looking Correct. at emotions from a man-centered perspective, not understanding deeply rooted theology that was common speak, uh, you know, 100, 150 years ago and back. Uh, these things were not, not as confusing as they are today. So, we yeah, have impass- right. impassibility, God cannot be manipulated. We have immutability, God cannot change. Uh, we have anthropomorphic expressions, uh, which is using human langu- language. Anthropos, uh, the doctrine of man, using uh, human language to communicate, trying for us to grasp what God is like. So put it in layman's terms, so when God is, when his anger is kindled, but he's not, there's no adding to or decreasing of, what's what's, what's a good way of saying that, of what's going on with the Lord?
1: Right. Uh, I, I really like something that John Wesley said, actually. He said that the change is in God's way, not in his being. He shows himself as being displeased with sin so it's our experience of god he's he's revealing himself to us in time and he's showing his his complete hatred as as it were of sin god loves what is lovely namely himself so he's he's the source of his love and he's also the object of his love so that he loves in his creation whatever looks like himself, and that's why you know when when we fell into sin, when Adam fell into sin, um, something of the image of God was marred in man. We still, are image bearers, even even unsaved fallen people, are image bearers. When we're united with Christ, that image is restored, and we grow objectively in loveliness to God. But the lack is always in the creature. The change is always in the creature. God loves what is lovely, but but from our experience, when we see uh, God's manifestation of Himself to us, it it looks as if it moves from Him hating us to Him loving us. But we can't understand God as He is, so He communicates in an economy.
0: So, awkward illustration time. And so, let's say, so, so, so God is a singular, complete being. Yes. A completely uh, righteous anger, perfect love. All of that exists in Him. He doesn't move, grow, shrink, change. Right. So, when God is pleased with us then it means that we have moved to where we are experiencing his perfect pleasure but when we sin against him it's us that have moved and now we are experiencing his wrath and so but the way that it's communicated you know god's wrath was kindled but that's just what that's really communicating is we just stepped into we have chosen to step in a place to where we are experiencing unchangeable wrath and that's not the place exactly. where we want to stand is that right. fair
1: very well said that's very fair yeah that's very well said
0: so very well uh, said uh, okay well that makes sense and so uh, god is perfectly and completely grieved Uh, and I know these are faulty ways of saying it, but right, right. But when someone does something to us that's heinous, we know that God is grieved, but He's not more grieved or less grieved. We're just right, we're just in a position now to where we understand that God is grieved. That's awkward,
1: right? It is, it is awkward, and and the thing is. Language cannot describe God. We do the best we can. Like like the Bible even says before the beginning of time or before the foundation of the world. And that's kind of a nonsensical phrase, but it's the only one we have. Because before creation, there was no time. So before becomes a nonsense word, but it's the only word we have. So we use it.
0: Right. And that's so the way I
1: understand.
0: Yeah, I thought about uh, like. God doesn't speak English, uh, or we're not going to speak English in heaven. That the where God, where the English language stops, God begins. If if Correct. I could if I could yes. say it, say it that way, yes. our our language is it, our language doesn't it can't reach fully of who God is, and that's why and we we actually feel that because. Uh, Well, well, I I need to see what the Greek says. Uh, I need to see what the Hebrew says, because we we feel our own linguistic inadequacy with the English language, and I'm sure the Hispanic language and and Dutch and so forth would be the same. Uh, We feel that limitation because we're grasping and trying to understand something that is far beyond us, but thankfully God has condescended he has come down and has communicated uh, in ways that we can't understand but that's where we have to be we have to keep our senses about ourselves and and, and not be so man-centered that uh, because language is changing I mean and, and we're seeing it, it like in the last 10 years I mean language has mm-hmm. just morphed crazy um and, and is continuing to move in that direction as we're moving farther and farther away away from god all right so you haven't talked about a City, so uh, let's throw that one in there too because that came up we have a thread on our forum that it I, actually i started it based on those comments that were made about your article by the way i'm going to link link your article here and the show notes of of this episode but the f- forum string that I started says, does God become more sad because of what happens to me? And I think mm. that you've been very clear in this podcast here. It's not that he becomes more sad. He Is it fair to say he's completely and fully and sad and completely and fully joyful and completely and fully love and completely and fully whatever word we want to use here?
1: well you can you can say that because the scriptures say that but understanding again that that, that sadness we can't say that properly of God because um it, it, it all the confessions say and I think they say rightly that God is most blessed and so any time you would say that God is sad that um, that kind of conveys a diminishment in his, his happiness. He's complete. He's sadness is a lack of something. And you can't properly say that there's a lack of something in God. And so you, you, you want to to say God loves his image bearers perfectly and anything that, that, hurts them or that damages them that thing moves out from god's love you know properly speaking um so so we do want to say god has has perfect holy wrath against sin understanding that properly god is is most blessed forever and nothing can can affect that so going back to the failure of our language the Puritan Stephen Charnock said we can't speak of God the way he is we can't always speak of God the way he is but we want to be careful not to speak of him as he is not so that's what we're trying to do we're trying to get away from this and we're moving into this in our, in our conversation right now get away from the idea of a needy pining God that suffers with his creatures. As good as that feels to us, to think that the, the sovereign God of the whole universe commiserates with us and, and weeps with us and, and suffers when we suffer, we wanna be careful because it, oh, it's been well said and, and you've made the point many times that when I'm suffering, I don't need someone who understands what I'm going through because he's drowning here with me. I need someone who loves me and cares and has the power to change my situation.
0: Okay, so let me go back to my awkward illustration again. So uh, with this sadness thing, and then I want to flow right into what you're saying, because this is important, uh, what you're saying. But so it's not God's being sad. It's when something happens to us, whether it's done to us or we do it to ourselves, we are the ones that have moved again. And so sadness is right. is 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 like stepping into the shadows and and, right. and that's yes. the feeling of sadness, but that's that's an experience that we have. but God is God can't be sad because he's not diminished any. Now realize this where it gets awkward is, you know God is, Omnipresent. So when you say you stepped in the shadows, and like God's right. not in in the shadows, and that's I,
1: accommodated language too, right? Right. Yeah,
0: we're using human language to try to understand something, but it's, it's it's the immovable God who is full and complete in Himself, and full of blessedness, as you say. And so He's He's not sad because he would be diminished, he would be less than himself. Uh, by the way, and, and that ties into that you really would not want a god like that, that he just fluctuates so much, you know, based on what happens to his creation. That goes back to him, uh, his impassibility uh, uh, being manipulated by his uh, creation. When, so, when something bad happens to someone and we are we we are now grieving and we are sad and that fallenness whether by our own volition or something that someone has done to us has has moved us outside moved us into the shadows and we aren't experiencing the love of god it's important to know that god's his love is complete and full and he loves us immensely and so there's something on well, us on us to do because he has not Correct. changed at all.
1: Right. 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 And and remembering too years ago you and I had a conversation in a podcast and we talked about primary causes and secondary causes. Mm-hmm. And the primary cause of everything that happens to us is God. In him we live and move and have our being. He superintends everything that comes to pass. But secondary causes are real as well, which is hard for our minds to understand. So even though like like Joseph in uh, Genesis 50, all that happened to him, you know, all the evil, his brothers did all these things. But but God superintended all of that because he had a good purpose. So the same action is, is good from God's hand while at the same time, the very same action is evil from the creature's hand. The lack is in the creature. So your childhood and the bad things that happened to you and the difficulties in my childhood and all of those things were really evil things done to us in many cases. And yet from God's hand, those things are gifts. They're good things that that made you who you are today that made me
0: who i am today right and joseph uh eventually got back to that and of course it's an right. argument it's an argument from silence to know how he did that or how long it took i mean right when he came to that point he moved uh, yes he came back god had never changed uh he came correct back. and what people did to him Pushed him geographically and psychologically. Right. Uh, it pushed him, moved him uh, from everything that he knew about God. Um, but somehow, working through that, which would be a good question to talk to Joseph about when we get there. Uh, what was that process? That would be
1: really great. Yeah, like right. and uh,
0: similar to uh, Paul uh, in Second Corinthians twelve with the thorn in the flesh. Mm-hmm. That's a very similar idea. God. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul was trying to get God to change, uh, to come to right. his, his need and remove the thorn. And God said, no, I'm not going to do that. And and so then Paul said, "You know, therefore I rejoice in my infirmity so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So he stepped out of the shadow and moved and experienced the full power and grace of God that was always exactly. full in. And complete. All right. So, there, there's a worst-case scenario for this um, when we are victimized um, by what people do to us. Is that if we use psychological, emotional language and map that over our interpretation of who God is, uh, then God is fluctuating. And again, as we, I think we've been pretty clear that God's not fluctuating at all, but we are. And because we're moving in and out of the shadows based on our own decisions or what has happened to us. And so worst case scenarios when people are victimized, it's very sad. It's horrific, you know, as you've alluded to with your story or my story. These are horrible stories in many ways. Um, The danger is, though, if we view God through a psychological, emotional, human-centered lens, then we can sculpt a God into a god of our own making, and we can be deluded to think that He is like us. So, when we use this language that God is grieved and God is angry, uh, the interpretation of that, the, the interpretation of that is is like us. And so now right. we're expecting God, uh, for example, to uh, meet out justice on this person who hurt me, or uh, to be grieving because I am grieving. And and that's where victimization takes a person down a very dark path.
1: You're right about that. Um, It's because I'm angry, God is angry too. And and you'll even hear um, counselors sometimes, abuse counselors, talk about uh, like Proverbs six, where it talks about there are six things that the Lord hates, haughty Mm. eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, you know, all of those things. So your abuser is all of those things. Therefore, God hates him. Therefore, if you hate him too, you're just bearing the image of God. And so it makes God movable and it gives us permission to be movable Whereas, you know, we, you'll see in 1 uh, Corinthians 15 where we're called to be steadfast and immovable, which we cannot be in the same sense that God is obviously, but thrown around and, and impassioned by everything that happens to us in life puts us, like you said, in a, in a state of victimhood and we can't be victorious in Christ.
0: Yeah, one of the statements, I'm, I'm just going to read it here. I'm looking at it. You said this uh, in this string on our forum. Again, I'll link it in the uh, show notes to this podcast, but referring to what you just said in Proverbs, you said abuse counselors will go to passages like Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, and in fact, uh, you read it, but uh, there are six things that the Lord uh, hates, seven are abomination, haughty eyes, lying tongue, handset, shed innocent blood, heart of heart that devises wicked plans, feet that uh, make haste to run to evil, a false witness. Um, They'll go to these passages and they'll tell folks that they are right to hate their abusers because they are just hating what God hates. I realize I'm restating what you just said, but it's so important. You went on to say God is on their side. In this way, they become enslaved again, which is heartbreaking because this time they are imprisoned by their own sinful anger which puts them at odds with God, referencing James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, and can lead to a hard heart and a noisy soul. Uh, that, that I thought that was a profound paragraph because, again, when we interpret God as being willy-nilly emotional the way that we are and so manipulated the way that we are, and God is just like that, so I hate, well, he hates that person too, uh, then what we're going to do. And you use the language that is not just heartbreaking because this time they have, quote, impr- imprisoned by their own sinful anger that puts them at odds with God. That is a powerful statement because now, I mean, many of them never realize that they're in an adversarial relationship with God because they have sculpted out of God of their own image. Uh, that's a dangerous place to be. And... You feel almost a helplessness in trying to help these people because they're so right in what they think and believe, but because of this theological shift that they made by missing these big, nice, helpful words like impassibility, uh, they have continued to spiral and to imprison themselves and that's very tough and you see a lot of angry victimized people I call them the people with the world's worst sunburn that the more that you do for them the worse it gets and that's a that's a tough situation now you've experienced quite a bit of that because you do you've done a lot of counseling with people who have been legitimately hurt and what you and I are saying it, we're not diminishing anything that has happened To them, but pointing out how being off just slightly theologically, when you depart the port in Charleston, South Carolina, you can be a degree or two off. uh, The two ships can, uh, but one's going to end up in Africa, and the other one's going to end up in England uh, once they get to their destination, and just that slight degree of being off theologically can make a world of difference on their ultimate trajectory and, and where they end up.
1: It sure can. It sure can. And, and even as I began counseling and, and like you tell us in the program, you got to get your reps in, you learn by doing, you learn by doing and failing and learning and growing and repenting and, and, and getting better. My impulse was when I started counseling to be more empathetic and to, okay, victims get the white hats and the perpetrators get the black hats and there's no, you know the, there's there's villain and then there's victim and the victim can never be the bad person, you know, which I would not have said that and I didn't properly think that. but um, trying too hard to validate, trying too hard to understand, trying too hard to empathize. And, and realizing downstream of all of this that I was enabling folks in their sinful anger, right, and and hurting them more. Which God is sovereign over that too, and and some people He's even brought back around, and and I've had a chance to to care for them better. But now, uh, generally, when I I start meeting with someone who's been hurt very deeply, the first thing I ask of them is. I, I'm going to ask of you not to give yourself permission to sin against God in, in the way you process this, because I want you to go through this with him. I want you to have joy and blessedness and wholeness and, and completeness, and you can't do that if you're at odds with God. If you're murdering people in your heart, um, all murderers have their part in the lake of fire you know and even as a believer you know as a believer you don't you're not in danger of losing your salvation but you do incur God's discipline because he loves you because he wants you to be like himself he wants you to move to where he is he's not going to move to where you are he wants you to move into his wholeness and his love and his goodness and his beauty then you are steadfast and immovable, and what happens to you next isn't going to throw you as much, and what happens to you after that is going to throw you less.
0: Yeah, that'd be a good way to uh, wrap up here. I'm talking with uh, Brandi Huerta. She has um, written uh, three articles thus far. I will put those in the show notes, but they're deeply rich theological uh, articles that have Amazing practical application uh, for our lives, and I would encourage you to read them. It did the last one on God's infinity uh, did uh, lead to some questions or comments that people made, and that's why we're doing this podcast. But but to wrap up, I mean, rather than trying to think God is angrier or think God is sadder, so that we have god on our side and now i am validated and justified to be angry uh, toward whoever did what to me it would be better to think that god loves you and rather than going off that direction Mm -hmm. and reinterpreting who god is is recognizing that he loves you immensely and he wants you to move and step into the fullness of, of that love that he has something better for you uh, you said, I'm, I was looking through the string here uh, on the website, but I, I can't find it where you uh, said that. Oh, maybe you said it here. Because God is immovable, He won't let any—oh, yeah, this is it. This is really good, too. Because God is immovable, He won't let any sin go, not one. Every sin will be paid for, either by the sinner or by the sinless Son of God. If you've been hurt, you can rest in knowing that the Lord will set everything right. If you're his, his love for you will never change. He will discipline you when you stray, but this is out of love for you, knowing that your greater good is to be like him. There you will find your joy and peace. It doesn't exist anywhere else. And so rather than trying to manipulate God to do our bidding by beating up those who have hurt us, uh, we need to recognize that this is part of his plan to drive us into a deeper experience with him. All right, Brandy. Uh, very good. You got some more articles uh, coming. What's the What's the next one that's uh, moving, uh, churning, churning in your soul?
1: So the next one that I already have started and I'm working on is a Sadie. and we we hit on that a little bit today. You can't you can't remove one of these uh, perfections of God without unraveling the sweater, as it has been said. They're all so intricately. Uh, related to one another. And then I will write one on imp- impassibility as well, because we're having this whole discussion about impassibility, but it's around an article I wrote about God's eternity, his infinity. And so, the. but they all touch on one another. So we're talking about an article I haven't written yet, but I will. And this helps, the discussion helps get those juices going too.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's good to have people that have diverse opinions. I appreciated the two f- Two of the folks that uh, commented, they, they weren't mm. negative at all, and they and they were not uh, uh, mean spirited at all. Uh, they just have a limited understanding of who God is, and they were taking the English language in using that to sculpt a God that they believe who He is, and that's why I wanted to do this podcast because He's not He's not like that. Uh, at all, for those of you who are interested, uh, again, Brandy is uh, one of our uh, team members. Uh, she works on our mastermind program, and so specifically, mostly in the theological department. Uh, so, if you're interested in our mastermind program, uh, it's an excellent program that covers uh, theology, of course, and then sanctification theory or what the culture would call psychology, uh, and then application. And so those are the three aspects. But theology is the foundation, and that's why this podcast is important. And that's why Brandy's important. Uh, that's why these big words are so important, and I hope that some of them have been broken down uh, a little bit to where people like me and others can understand them and then not just appreciate them but uh, they transform our lives if you want to talk to brandy uh you can do that we have free community forums uh say hey i was listening to the podcast uh got a question for you she would love to engage you as with the rest of our team brandy uh, thanks so much
1: my pleasure thank you so much for having me this was fun